We're going to be in the book of Acts and in the book of John this evening, book of Acts first. We are winding down this series on developing our spirit. We're going to be looking today at the difference between word and spirit. There is a difference between them. And sometimes we have kind of run them together so that we're not as aware of the differences and our responses are not always what they should be. We put in your outline that there is a difference between responding to word thoughts and spirit inspiration. They are different. Neither is bad, but in its place, they're, they're, they're correct. They're, they're good. And we've got to learn the right place for both. Because believe it or not, a word response is not always what's called for. And neither, neither is a spirit response. They are different. And so we're going to examine this from the Word of God. We have two places to be looking at in, in here. And the first is one of the examples we have. And there's actually four. We're just going to get into this one mostly. This is Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Where were they going? They were going to prayer. (laughs) They were on their way to prayer. And they were met by this slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination. They met us. Now, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us. Met us. You can tell from the wording here that the author of the book of Acts is included in the group. Amen. That's not always the case, but in this one it is. And the author of the book of Acts is? No. Luke. Luke is the author. So Luke is with them. Paul is not the author. He's the one involved in the story, but he is not the one who was there. Luke writes down much of the, or all of the book of Acts and some of it he's actually there for. This is one of those times when Luke is actually there and he was in this group that this slave girl, this uh, one the possessed of a spirit of divination, was following. You all know who wrote most of the New Testament, right? Luke. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did. Most of the, the more of the New Testament was written by, as far as one author, by a Gentile than any of the Jews. If you take the book of Luke and the book of Acts and count the pages up, they will total to more than all that Paul wrote. Because some of Paul's writings are short. So Luke actually wrote more. That's one of those little fun little trivia questions you can throw out to people sometimes and, and hit them up with that. But Luke actually penned more of the New Testament than did Paul. Not that they were in competition with each other. They were just writing down what, what all happened. <laughs> this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Does that sound bad? Doesn't sound bad at all, does it? These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Is there anything false in what she said? There isn't, is there? And this she did for many days. That would indicate, of course, more than one. That would indicate more than two or three because you would just use several. <laughs> but the word is many. So, you know, it could be a week. However long it was that they were there, this was going on for many days. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed... Now, how many of you got, if you're going to get annoyed at this, you get annoyed after the first day, or the second day, or the third day, or the fourth day? Many days. But Paul greatly annoyed. Now, we don't know when he became greatly annoyed. He may have become greatly annoyed after day one or day two. We just know that he spoke this, and while he spoke this, he was greatly annoyed. That's really all that we know about. We don't know that he suddenly became greatly annoyed and spoke this. Even though that could have been the case, we just don't know that that's the case. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. I always thought that was interesting because in the Greek it's very distinctive, male or female. And he... 
you think of a single time in the Scriptures where a spirit is referred to as a she? A possessing spirit. I can't either. I can't say that they, aren't, they don't exist, but I can't think of any. It didn't say an it, because there's a Greek word for it. It said in he. Came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They had no concern for this girl or what she was going through being possessed. They were concerned about their profit. And they, this is a slave girl, and they, they took care of her as far as they needed to take care of her to keep this thing going. That's all the care that they had. And once that spirit of divination was gone, how many of y'all think they kept caring for her? Probably not, because that's the attitude of folks who are, who are in this. If they're going to enslave somebody like this into service, they don't care about the individual. They only care about their profit. And when they saw that their profit, their, their ability to get profit was gone from this girl, they seized Paul and Silas. They were not amazed that Paul and Silas had authority over the spirit. I don't know about you, but if you know, a slave girl or not, if this girl has a spirit that you can't control and can do things that you can't do, and someone comes along that's more powerful than that, I don't know that I'm jumping on them right away. I think I want to find out some things about who they know and how they were able to take care of this thing. But they didn't, because profit can become such a motivation. And it just blinds us to everything else. And we certainly see that in, in our world today, how much profit has, uh, has, has been a big part of that. For when our master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Now, I guess they know this because they must have, I guess as the lady was following them around, they must have also been around her. But if she was their slave girl, I wonder how she could follow Paul and Silas for many days. I've often wondered about that story. How could they, they enslaved her? But maybe they couldn't completely control her because of the spirit. And that she would go around and do things. But I don't know. I just always wondered if they enslaved her and she's going around for many days chasing after them saying this. She's obviously not making them any profit by doing that. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secretly. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now we know the outcome of this story. Been here before, you know, Paul and Silas getting the in prison at midnight, they're found singing praises to God and worshiping God and making a noise and they had the earthquake and all the people's shackles come off and the uh, guy who runs the prison is ready to kill himself and Paul says, no, nah, we're all here. <laughs> and uh, they're in the next day, they're, they uh, throw out the fact that they're Roman citizens and the jailer says, well, I paid a good bit of money for mine. He says, I was born a Roman. And he was shaking in his boots then because they knew they were in all kinds of trouble from Rome. But that's not the gist of the story that we want to get into. This had gone on for many days. Do you think it took many days for Paul to recognize the spirit that was in this woman? I really don't think so, especially if these men were following her around. I don't think it took Paul any, any time at all to realize this. By the Word of God, would he know what to do? Cast out the demon, right? Find a demon, cast it out. Of course, he doesn't know what the woman wants, whether she wants the, the demon or not, because sometimes you can run into people and they want to keep hold of that spirit for whatever their reason, and then you don't have authority in that matter. But she was over here meddling with their business. Again, look at what she says. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with her statement at all. Her statement is as true as they come. However, would you want a demon-possessed woman siding with you, <laughs> saying that you're right, 
You're on the ball? You are servants of the Most High God. Would you want a demon-possessed girl who tells fortunes to be siding with you and telling people how on the ball you are, how on the mark you are? I don't think that you'd want that. That'd be publicity, but it'd be bad publicity. You'd be, you're being thrown into the same same group as she gets her authority from and incantations or whatever it is that she says. But Paul apparently didn't jump on this right off, right off the bat. And he may have been thinking all kinds of things that, you know, maybe why he shouldn't and, and so forth. And after he did it, how many of you, if you were in that situation and you cast out the spirit and got beat up by a mob, thrown into prison, and now are being asked to leave the city and then eventually do leave the city? Because how many of you are thinking, hmm, maybe that wasn't the best move. <laughs> we seem to be having more success when we let her follow us around and we were talking to people than when we went ahead and dealt with this. I, I, I think I'd be probably sitting in that prison thinking, hmm, did I do the right thing? Should I have said that? Should I just left well enough alone? Maybe I shouldn't have gone out there and, and done that. It would seem that something happened to Paul because many days had transpired. Many days had gone by and Paul had done nothing. But the Word of God that was in Paul was always there. It seemed that something in the realm of the Spirit triggered and that he went after it. Either he saw into the spirit realm and saw the spirit that was affecting her. Seeing that, he knows instantly what the will of God is on that and he deals with it. I, my, my suspicion is that's what it was. That he saw into the spirit realm and didn't just know it existed but saw it and then dealt with it. I don't know that for sure. We get to heaven, I have to wait to heaven, get to heaven to find out for sure what actually went on there. That's just my thought that it may have been something along those lines. But whatever it was, we do know that after many days, he had done nothing. But then all of a sudden, he just turns suddenly. They're just walking from one place to another. It's not like they're in a meeting. It's not like the Spirit of God is moving. He's just walking from one place to another and then suddenly turns around and says, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And the Spirit came out. Apparently, didn't even put up much of a fight. Just gone. There was something that came up in his spirit and he responded from his spirit. And I just bring in this story so that we can see that there are some responses that we have that are word responses and some responses that are spirit responses are based on the spirit. Here's some other examples. Moses from water in the, from the rock. Is that a word response? No, there's nothing from the word of God to tell you to go up to a rock and hit it with a stick and the water will come out. It was the spirit of God that told him that. Elisha, when he was at Dothan, and the army surrounded the city. And he's fine with it. But the servant is all nervous. And he prays, Lord, open up his eyes that he can see. And he opened up his eyes and he could see the army of angels all around him. Because Elisha had said to him, there are more with us than are with them. But we never know that Elisha saw anything. Peter, with Ananias and Sapphira, the word in us would say, thank you very much for that offering. <laughs> right? For be grateful for what you receive. That's what the word of God would tell you. Be grateful whether somebody came along and said, thank you very much. We would, we would be grateful and thankful because that's what the word of God would tell us to do, wouldn't it? But the spirit of God told him to do something else. And he responded out of that, that spirit. And that certainly was different, wasn't it? So with that, let's head on over to John chapter 4. Now as you turn over there, here's how you can tell the difference between a word response and a spirit response. The difference is very easy to tell what one is responding from. Word responses are the same. They're always the same. A word response is always the same. It does not vary. It always is the same. If you face a decision and you have a word response, that decision will always be the same. It will not vary because you have the Word of God on it. And the Word of God doesn't change for your situation. The Word of God is the Word of God. Should I or should I not kill that man? What's the word response for that? No. 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 <laughs> Should I 
Hate that one. No. This person has asked me to forgive them. Should I forgive them? Yes. Yes. (laughs) We may not like the response that the Word of God tells us to do, but the Word is always the same. Is this sickness from God? No. No. Did you get that from your spirit? No, you got it from the Word of God, right? That's what the Word of God is. So there are certain responses that come from the Word of God, but they are always the same. They don't vary. They don't change. And they shouldn't because the Word's not going to change. The Word's not going to vary. So word responses are the same. They are always the same. Spirit responses are different. They vary. A spirit response is not the same in two different situations. Now, these are not bad traits. I'm not trying to say that these are bad traits of word responses because they're always the same. Or that is a bad trait of a spirit response to always be different. These are not bad traits, just defining ones. This is what defines a word response and what defines a spirit response. What would you say are word responses that differ? I say you're confused. If it's, a, if it's okay to forgive this one now, but tomorrow it's not. If I should love this one today, but tomorrow, no. The Word of God tells me to give, but not to give. No, the Word of God is always the same. Always the same. Our spirit responses, well, what would you say to word responses that differ or spirit responses that are always the same? <clears throat> A spiritual response is not always going to be the same. It's going to differ. A spiritual, uh, something that we do born in the Spirit will not always be the same. There will be some changes to it. If you're you're in a worship service and the Spirit of God moved with song A, B, C, and D, is the Spirit going to move us along next week that since it worked there, we're going to have Spirit song A, B, C, and D again? That's not a spirit response. And if we try and pass that off as a spirit response, we know, no, 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 hold on a minute. The spirit doesn't always do the same thing in every situation. It, he, he senses what's going on, what's, what's happening. It's just like in your home. We have four seasons in this part of the country, don't we? And in the summer, when it's getting hot and you go up to your thermostat, you call for a response from that, but it's different from one that you would have in the winter, isn't it? In fact, even the temperature that you set it at is different. You'd set your thermostat maybe in the summertime if you wanted your air conditioning to come on to 76 or 78 or, or 75, or depending upon how much you like to pay for your electric bill. <laughs> and then in the, in the wintertime, when it's time for some heat, you turn it the other way, you know, 68, 69, <laughs> 70... So you don't put it at the 78, do you? You don't put it at the same. You have a different response. And it's always, and if it's 10 degrees outside, is your inclination to do something different on the heat inside than if it was 50? It sure is. You have a varying response based on the climate conditions, based on the conditions that you're in. And the Spirit of God does the same thing. You may have a spirit of belief and the Spirit of God may move one way in that situation. Then you may have a spirit of unbelief and the Spirit of God would move a different way in that situation, wouldn't He? Even though it may be the same person ministering, even though it may be the same passage of Scripture that they're ministering from, things are going to change based upon the crowd that's there, based upon the faith and belief, based upon a number of of different purposes that the Word of God would have. And so he's going to be changing that. The Spirit of God adapts to what is going on around, but the Word does not. The Word is always the same. And it is regardless of what situation you are in. And sometimes, you know, we don't like that. You know, I like that the Word of God says it should be this way when it's for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. But when I'm the one who has to do that, I don't like it quite as much. What does hinder? What does hinder? Is a word response when a spirit one is needed. This can be a bad thing. We can become, especially as as 
faith Christians and word-based Christians, we become so word-oriented that we are we're always uh, generating responses from the Word of God. But when a spirit response is needed, a word response will not do. And you need to discern the difference between that. Now, we're not just throwing this out here to you. I'm going to give you an example. And we're going to show you uh, uh, someone who does this. And they change the response from word responses to spirit responses. And once you see this, you can go through and you can find some more yourself. John chapter 4. you there yet? John chapter 4, verse, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed from, de- departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, the basis of this story, we've covered it before. You probably remember You've been here before on these things. This woman is coming an hour to, to the well, which no one else is coming because she apparently is not well liked. It doesn't feel that she is well received by other people in the town. So she comes to the draw water at a time that is not convenient. It is not a convenient time to go get water when the sun is high, when the weather is hot. It's much better to go in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening and then go and do this. But she is not because this is the time when most people will not go. It's kind of like the same practice you may have picked up. If you're not looking to meet people and you are in a hurry, how many of you have bypassed lunch at noon to eat lunch at 2? Because there's no line. And there's no one you're going to run into who's going to engage you in conversation when you need to get moving. Or you go at 11. Or you go at a time other than between 12 and 1. To avoid the, the, the lines and such things as, as that. Well, that's what she's doing. She does not want to be there when everyone else is there. So she is expecting the well to be empty. And here's Jesus. Well, I don't know Him anyway, so it's alright. She's going to go and, and get her water. But look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her. So He is responding, right? If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Now, go back to our definition. A word response is one that always the same. A spirit response is different. Based upon that, what response does He give her? I'd say word two. Is this is the answer ever going to change? Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. How are you going to? How are you being a being a Jew, asking a drink of me? And he says, now there may have been a number of things that he could have answered, but if he's going to answer this way, would it change? No, this is it. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, "Give me a drink," you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And this is a response that would have certainly perked. Its goal is to perk expectation inside of her. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So, he's answering again in verse 13 and 14. I just wrote it in your outline as verse 13. It picks up there and it keeps on going. What would you classify this response as? I'd say word response too. Is this going to change? 
Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Isn't that not always going to be the case? <laughs> but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, in both these situations, does this answer work? Is she being ministered, ministered to? Or we're, I mean, Jesus is setting her up to things. But he hasn't turned her off. He hasn't offended her. Or, not that the word won't offend people and sometimes it's need, needed. The woman said to her, or said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may, th- I may not thirst nor come here to, to draw. Is that not what Jesus' goal was? To get her to ask him to give him their water? Get her into a place of expectation? So did the word responses have their desired effect? Yeah, they sure did. He got the question that he was looking for. Now, can he answer this question based on the Word of God? He better be able to. (laughs) If the other responses were word responses, he should be able to answer this question based on the Word of God. But look how he answers it. Go call your husband and come here. Is that a word response? What is it? That's a spirit response. That's going to be different. Not everybody has a husband. Not everybody has a wife. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Spirit or word? Definitely spirit. You're not going to find this written in the Word of God, are you? Such and such a person shall be at the well and shall be married to a, been married to five husbands and is living with someone now. That's not a word response, is it? That is a spirit response. Does it fit? Does it help the situation? If Jesus just kept on going along the lines of the Word, would we now be in a different place? We would not be getting to where we are getting. The difference is, He started off with word answer, word answer, but then moved over into spirit answer, spirit answer, even though there was a word response that could have been given. Jesus could have answered her question that he was building her up to ask, give me this water. He finally got her to ask that question. She finally comes out with, all right, give me the water. And he says, go call your husband. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Can you answer this question by the Word of God? Absolutely. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Is this answer a word answer or a spirit answer? This one's a little tougher, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you got all kinds, of, all kinds of thoughts. Let's look at it again. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Did she ask anything about the future? He didn't, she didn't ask a thing about the future, did she? If he's going to answer the question based on the Word of God, then her question would have an answer. Does he ever answer her question? What is her question? On which mountain should we worship? You guys say that one. We say this one. Which one's right? And Jesus does not answer the question. He redirects her. Why does he redirect her? You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. You give an answer like that, is that a person who has a problem saying, yeah, this is the right mountain? 
That's not a person who has that problem. He's saying, you guys don't have salvation. We do. But the hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. He has, he has diverted off into another spirit answer. Because this answer is tailored to her. Where she is and what she needs. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. Jesus moved the question into the future. And she's immediately going to the future says, I know the Messiah is coming. Who's the Messiah of? The Jews. The Messiah is to be born the King of David. The King of the Jews. I know the Messiah is coming. Can you see what's going on with this lady? She's over there wrestling about which mountain. But when, you, when he hit her with these questions, she says, I know the Messiah is coming. Jesus said the salvation is of the Jews. Who is salvation through? The Messiah, who is of the Jews. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming. What is she saying? I know salvation is of the Jews. I know salvation is of the Messiah. Has Jesus hit an area of ministry with this woman? But he didn't get there answering word-based questions, did he? Or word-based responses. He got there because he followed his spirit. He gave some word responses in the beginning, but then he followed his spirit. And listened to his spirit and began to direct the questions that way. If you would have just answered this woman's questions, you would never have gotten here. And look how important it is that we get to this place. I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. How many people has Jesus ever said that to? Folks, there are Jews that He would not answer this question. He would not say this. And at this point, His disciples came and they marveled that He talked with a woman, yet no one said, Why do you speak? Or why are you talking with her? Why did they marvel? Because this was where their, their minds were. Their mind had been renewed on some principles that were taught to them about who to, who to associate with and who not to. And Samaritans were of those who you don't associate with, which is why this woman had the idea, you're a Jew, why are you associating with me? She doesn't say, I'm a woman, why are you a man so associating with me? She says, you are a Jew, why are you, you have nothing to do with Samaritans. And the disciples even said, what? what's he doing there talking to a Samaritan? And he noticed she's a Samaritan. And so these disciples who had gone into the town to get food, who didn't want to associate with Samaritans, probably didn't associate with any Samaritans in town. huh? Just bought the food and left. And they got out with just themselves. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, now she left the water pot because she wanted to make haste into the city and to get this done. And she knew she was coming back. It wasn't like she lost her mind. She knew she was coming back, but it's a whole lot easier to get into town without a water pot than it is to get back into town with a water pot. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, there had to be a little bit more than this because I think a lot of guys around there said, we can tell you what you've done. We aren't the Christ. So there had to be something a little bit more going on here. 
And she gave him probably a little bit more of the story. This is the man I never met. He's a Jew. And he was talking to me. And he told me all the things that I ever did. And he has no way to know him except the Spirit of God told him. Come on out here and you find out. And so they came. And apparently, now remember, she went to the well at an hour when no one else was coming. The rest of the woman, for some reason, I don't know why, for some reason it was a woman's job to get the water. <laughs> Go figure that. I have no idea why that is. The guy's got the muscles. I mean, why in the world are you making the woman carry the water? I don't know why they did it, but that's how they did it over here. <laughs> I think we'd, uh, we'd fix them or something like that. We wouldn't have a, be having that going on. But anyway, that's what it was from the Old Testament times until here. The women were the fetchers of the water and the, the guys sat around and talked, I guess. Or <laughs> I, I don't know what it was. But anyway, they come on out there and they, they talk to her. Now, she does not go to the women. She goes to the men. And I'll tell you that her, her really bad relationships are with the women. The women just don't like this gal. Well, I guess if, they, if she had five husbands, that meant she took away some... Yeah, and now she's got another one. And, uh, you know, you women can be downright vicious when you talk about each other. You know what? You can be. Now, men can be vicious too, but we're quick about it. We're, I mean, we're fast. We're done in five minutes, and we're on to something else. I don't think, I mean, guys at their, their worst don't generally talk about any one person for longer than five minutes, and then we're done. And then we just moved on. Not that one's better than the other. If both things are wrong, then both things are wrong. No, no one's better than another. But anyway, she didn't go to the women. She went to the men. And uh, just think about this. Those men come on back and they talk to their wives and say, hey, let's go to town. Well, who told you? Well, you, so, what are you doing talking to her? How come she came up talking? What's going on that she came up talking to you? Did you do you know her from before? <laughs> Can you hear all that kind of stuff going on? <laughs> but anyway, we got past all that and we got a crowd coming. And they come on out. Now, not having known all this stuff about that, how many of you would have picked this woman to start a revival in town? No, I don't think so. If you just knew, just knowing society over there, once Jesus gets in his spirit that she's had five husbands and the one that she's with now is not her husband and she's living with him, instantly he's got to know she's not going to get anybody. No one's following this gal. They probably all hate her and that's probably why she's here now. Jesus could figure all that stuff out, but this is what the Spirit of God was leading him to do, so he doesn't figure it out with his head. He goes out there and he does it. And they went out of, out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said that I might have food to eat of which you do not know. Of course, that food being the ministry. <clears throat> Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? These are not spirit-based people. <laughs> Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the field, for they are already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I had ever done. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Is that a harvest? Did they labor in this harvest? No. 
But Jesus sent the disciples into the heart of the city and they came out with food. Jesus sent this woman. He didn't even send her. He just ministered to her as the Spirit said and she runs into the city and comes out with a crowd. And Jesus says to them, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you've entered into their labors. What do you mean by others have labored? What was the woman saying? I know... Let's go back through it again. Verse 25. I know that Messiah is coming. How do they know that? Someone had to go and tell them, right? Messiah is coming. That's what others want. And they sowed these, these things. And he sent his disciples and he said, It's ready. The harvest is ready. Go out there and get it. But he didn't tell them the harvest is ready. He said, go into town. And they come out of town with nothing but food. And they did not pick up the Spirit's leading to minister to anyone. But Jesus, with one woman at a well, starts off with word-based responses, but listens to His Spirit and gives Spirit-based responses that generate a response from her where she goes into town and brings out a crowd. And they beg him, stay with us for a little while. So he stayed with them for two days. And many believed because of the words that he said. Many believed. There was a harvest that was there. And if it was up to the disciples, they would have missed it. They would have gone right past it. This is why it's so important that we understand the difference between word-based responses and spirit-based ones. Because too often, especially word-oriented people, folks, we are so geared on the word, we are ready to fire off whatever the word has taught us to say. We have renewed our mind on the word. And I am ready to fire up any word. I've got so much word inside of me, you say something, I'm ready with the word. You say something else, I'm ready with the word. And we just keep firing out the word, and we're ready to answer every question by the word of God, and we miss what the Spirit of God has to say. Life is a training ground. You are in a training ground. As natural men and women, we respond from our soul, mind, and emotions. We respond from our soul. By soul, I mean your mind and emotions. That is your soul. As natural men and women, this is what we respond from. We think things, we feel things, and we say things based on that. We make actions based on what we think. We make actions based on what we feel, right? When we became born again from our rebirth, we look to respond from a renewed mind or soul. Word of God talks about the renewing of your mind. Same thing as renewing of your soul. We've got to take that soul, soul man and renew him on the Word of God. It is the spirit man that has been reborn, not the soul. The soul is renewed on the Word of God. From our rebirth, we look to respond more from a renewed mind than a natural mind and soul. We want a renewed one. But from our infilling, we look to respond from our spirit, hearing the voice of the Spirit. This is where we need to get to. From the time that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to look to respond from our spirit, hearing the voice of the Spirit. I put this in your outline too. A word response is better than a flesh one, but not when a spirit one is needed. A word response is better than a flesh one, but not when a spirit one is needed. We've been in many situations and a spirit response is needed and all we do is give out word-based ones. And we hold ourselves back. We're not moving into those places that God wants us to move into because all we do is recite the Word. And the Word's good, but the Word is always the same. And sometimes you need to change that temperature. You need to adjust that temperature just a little bit. You've got to remember, it's summertime. I don't think I want the heat on. It's not, not good to have the heat on. You need to change it up a little bit. A word response is better than a flesh one. Isn't that right? 
We've had flesh responses before. Word response is certainly better than that. But not when a spirit one is needed. I want you to understand that when a spirit response is needed, a simple word response is almost as bad as a flesh one. Because you will miss God. If Jesus, with the woman at the well, He starts off word-based response, word-based response, but then He switched over to a spirit-based one. If He kept going in that same vein, word-based response, would it have affected the end result? And then two days of ministry wouldn't have happened and all those new believers wouldn't have brought in. And you would have had people looking for the Messiah and still not knowing where He is. And then other people who had gone and sown for harvest, there's nothing to be reaped because no one came along. Jesus sent His disciples into the city, a town ready for revival, and they came out with no one. But a sinner woman who was despised by most people goes into town because someone adjusted the responses of what the Spirit of God said. We've got to put the same thing to work where we live, where we, our job is, where we go to school, where we interact with people. It isn't just about having a word response. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying. He may be telling you something about that person to help them out. Not in a place to condemn them. God doesn't. God, God did not share this with Jesus and say, now despise her. Tell her what a sinner she is that she's had five husbands. And now she's living with somebody. You let her know I'm displeased. But Jesus never does that, does He? As far as we can tell from Jesus' response, God is not that concerned about the fact that she's living with someone right now. He's concerned about her salvation. That's all. He wants to get her over to Follow after Messiah. You know about Messiah. I'll tell you what, when you study this story out and you just look at the way Jesus progressed in here, it is fascinating. But then compare ourselves this way. How many times in prayer, when you're at home praying, do you pray based on the Word of God and the Spirit of God is crying out for you to listen? Pray this way. Pray this way. But no, we can't hear it because I know what the Word of God says on this situation. Well, you may know what the word, you may know what the Word of God says in this situation, but something else is called for here. When the Pharisees brought that woman who was caught in adultery before Jesus, what did the Word say? Take her out and stone her, right? And what did Jesus do? Jesus extended mercy, didn't he? He looked up, at the, looked at the woman after everybody had left, and he says, "Where are your accusers? They've left. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more." That's our God. See, prayer catches the heart of God. Word catches His will. Word catches what He says He wants going on, but prayer catches the heart of God. If you are going to pray effectively, you've got to catch the heart of God. And you cannot just go into a situation praying the Word. And I don't want to mean, I'm not trying to lessen the Word here. Please don't get that. The Word is important. You know how much I and you and everyone else here, we value the Word of God. The Word of God is our foundation. But there's times that you need to have an adulterous person be brought before you and not be filled with condemnation. Because the Word says this. But you tap into the heart of God. You have mercy for that person. You love that person. You say, you know what? Come on. Let's get out of this. Let's go on. See, too often we're just, we're just responding from a renewed mind. But we have a reborn spirit. And we have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit of God communicates with our reborn spirit things of which we have no knowledge of, no way of understanding or knowing. 
And He communicates these things to us. And we need to respond from it. Life is a training ground. It is a training ground of us learning how to flow with that. If it was up to the disciples, this woman would have gotten her water and left. And then they would have talked about her afterwards. It was up to Jesus. He says, nah, the Spirit of God says there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity here. How many times have we missed an opportunity? Because you're out there hung up on what the Word of God said about our situation. So the Word of God says, the Word of God says, the Word of God says, and it's good to know what the Word of God says. Believe me, it's a good thing to know what the Word of God says. But what's the Spirit of God saying to you about this? What's the Spirit of God saying? How many times have you been in prayer, going before prayer of God, and just your, your renewed mind cries out, and you confess this, Father God, I thank You that I'm this. Father God, I thank You that I'm this. Father God, I thank You that You've done this. Father God, I thank You that Your promise is this way. Father God, I thank You. And the Spirit of God is saying, Hold it! We have no idea what the Spirit of God even wants to do here. All we're doing is being out there confessing the Word and confessing the Word. Listen to Him. What's He saying? What's He saying? My wife gives me reports some time of some of the things that go on in the prayer room here on Sunday mornings and sometimes people come in and they tap into what the Spirit of God is saying. And they begin to pray out what the Spirit of God is saying. And things begin to move. And other times people come in to the prayer room and they say what a renewed mind would say. And there's not the same movement. Ah, by God. When we come together, the Spirit of God wants to do some things. But He wants us to hear Him. He wants us to hear what He has to say. And pray those things. And say those things. And minister those things. Life is a training ground. Train yourself to hear and respond from your spirit. Listen first. Listen first. What's the Spirit of God saying? Father, is there someone here you want me to speak to? Minister to? What's the Spirit of God saying? Oh, listen to what He has to say. And great things will go on. How many times we've seen it in church where someone got up, said something by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or gave a testimony because the Spirit of God was telling them so or asked for prayer because they, they responded to the Spirit of God and something broke out. Something happened. <laughs> things went, oh, that's what we need to see. Listen to the Spirit of God. Hear what He has to say. Build responses based on the Spirit. It's great that you have responses now based on a renewed mind. And that's a whole lot better than a flesh one. A whole lot better. But what is the Spirit of God saying? I hope you go through the Bible and you find out some other stories. Because there are other stories that you can get into. And you can find people who didn't just speak and just answer the word response, which is always the same. And listen to the voice of the Spirit. And they spoke what the Spirit had to say. We gave you a few other examples, of course, when we started this off. But How well have you developed yourself in that area? You all wouldn't like it if, we came in, if you came into church and every single Sunday... We set the thermostat for the same. <coughs> you wouldn't like it. If we all took a vote and we say, we like 70 degrees best, we will always set the thermostat at 70 degrees from now on. We will never change it. It will always be 70. <laughs> and sometimes people will say, oh, it's so hot in here. Because oh. you, you all do that. Y'all do that. I, I tell Ray, I tell Jim, we, we have ways of, of knowing and what to do because we cannot set the thermostat at any one because first off, one thermostat doesn't set for anybody. It's, it's always different. I think men have a greater degree of, of variance in temperature than do women. 
So that's why we've always told our ushers, watch the women. Watch the women. Because they, you know, they're putting on their coat. It's too cold. I don't care what you think it feels like. <laughs> that's, that's what the response is. That's just the, we watch the women. And, you know, it's certainly that way. And, you know, we get into a, into a vehicle, get into a car. And, uh, and my wife tends to be a person of extremes. If it's cold at all in the car, the heat goes to high. Instantly. All the way on up. I just think that's the most ridiculous response in the world because what's going to come out is just such hot stuff that you can't even get comfortable with it. So I try and work it on down and get it on down. That's one thing I like about this truck I have. There is no high. Glory to God. There's no high. You have to set what temperature you want it to be at. Then the truck does what it needs to do to get at that temperature. But glory to God and the infinite wisdom of the people who make these things. They have set a separate temperature gauge for the person in the passenger seat. <laughs> glory to God for that. She can set that thing to 75 and I can set it to 69 and it will do its best to maintain that temperature for both of us. Even though there's nothing really in the... <laughs> in between there, but <laughs> does its best to, to do that. You have to adjust your response. And it may be that what you did for one person one day, next week it's going to be different. You've got to listen to what the Spirit of God has to say. Sometimes a word response is what's needed. But sometimes it's the Spirit. And the Spirit listens to what's going on. What's happening now? What is it that God wants to do today? You all may get in the prayer room on a Sunday morning and God wants to minister healing. But you came in with prosperity on your mind. Finances. People in need. And you pray the Word of God based on your renewed mind, based on those things. And missed the Spirit of God was in the healing. You may be starting off your day in the morning. And you have your confession. And the Spirit of God is trying to get your attention that there's a ministry opportunity going on that you will find today. Or there's a danger that's approaching you today. Or that this is coming up. And He's trying to get a hold of you, but you can't be gotten a hold of because you're over there. Father God, I thank You that Your hand protects me all about. I, Father God, I thank You whatever I put my hand to is successful. I thank You, Father, whatever it is that I do, You're going to give me wisdom. And we're out there confessing the Word. And we miss what the Spirit has to say. I'm not telling you not to confess the Word. Please don't hear that. But we've got to be able to confess the Word and still listen to the Spirit of God. What is He saying He wants to do? What's His desire? That's what we've got to get a hold of. You are in a training ground. God is training us for a reason. Get trained and follow His responses. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. You are training us up that we hear from Your Spirit. We respond from our spirit. Even though our renewed mind can come up with responses, we check it with our spirit. And just like in this story with Jesus, sometimes what the Word of God says is the, is the appropriate response. But sometimes it's going off in another direction. Sometimes people ask us about prophecy, but what they're really asking about is forgiveness. And you show us how to get to the core of what's being asked. Because you know them. You have a heart for them. Father, you desire to send us into places to reap a harvest that we haven't sown. But we have to be willing to listen to the Lord of the harvest. Father, we dedicate ourselves to listen to You. You are the Lord of the harvest. And You know what needs to be done. Thank You for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Any comments? Bert? Mm-hmm. And it was all orchestrated to happen that way because 
Yeah, but if the Word of God said that Jesus was weary, Jesus was weary. But either way, whether he knew she was coming by or he just knew to stay there. I mean, how many times has God just said, go on over here? And we don't know why. And we listened and we went over there and then we saw why. Well, Jesus said this. He said, I sent you into a harvest. So that meant that Jesus knew the city was ripe for a harvest and he sent his disciples in to get it. But then he saw an opportunity with this woman coming too. Yeah. Well, I was wondering at the beginning why she was so opposed to this guy dying on the cross. But now I'm thinking if she really wasn't dying for him, then I feel she would just leave sooner. No, I wouldn't see that. Jesus never sees anybody as a means to an end. Um, and it's not that she was less important than any of the people that she brought in. Um, he saw her as just as important. A soul, a life is a life, a soul is a soul. Yeah. Yeah. But understand this, what was Jesus' strategy for, for having um, revival in this place? We read it over. Jesus had a strategy. What was his strategy to have revival here? The disciples. His strategy was that the disciples would go into the city and reap the harvest and bring it out to them. Didn't he say he sent them into a harvest? But they they failed. They didn't come up with it. Yes. What does he say to his disciples when they come back? I sent you into a harvest. Thirty-eight. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Isn't that his strategy? The only thing is, he didn't tell them, did he? He didn't tell them. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. I sent you to reap. Isn't that what he said? So what was his strategy? Yeah, but how many times have the disciples messed up the natural for what was spiritual? Remember Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees? And they said amongst themselves, it is because we didn't bring bread. <laughs> Isn't that their whole purpose is to go around and minister to places? But did they have that mindset there? Why? And it's Samaria. It's Samaria. We want to get out of here. This is Samaria. Let's get the food. Let's get out. Yeah, it's Samaria. There's nothing here. We got to get on to where we're going. Galilee. Not here. This is Samaria. How do you think the disciples reacted when he said we're going to stay here for a few days? Samaria? With the Samaritans? Really? Mm. That was his strategy. But understand this. Jesus sent them in. Did they know that they were sent in for a harvest? Then how many times have we been sent into a harvest and just because we weren't told, we didn't know? 
See, the word didn't come out and say, you shall go into work and thou shalt reap a harvest on Wednesday. But we showed up at work and there was an opportunity and there was something that came up in our spirit to say. And we said, oh, I can't say that here. Nah, I, I don't know that that's, that person's really going through this. I mean, Jesus never met this woman. I don't know if she has five husbands. Really? Five? I mean, what if she didn't? Can you imagine accusing a woman? You've had five husbands. Now you're living with a guy. Huh? <laughs> I'll have you know I've had the same husband for 45 years. But Jesus is he's okay with this. He's, he's just putting it out there, right? Because he knows how to follow his spirit. He knows how to speak after it. He's trained himself on this. That's what we got to do. The disciples walked into the midst of a harvest and never saw it. And this woman, who hadn't been trained a day in her life, walked into the town and said, I found the Messiah. Come on out and you all see. And they all came. Um, he knew his disciples. He knew his disciples. He's sitting here and says, I'm sending you into a candy shop and you guys aren't even going to recognize it. But the outcome would have been different too had they been with him when the Samaritan woman came up. Because they would have probably preached They would have probably interfered with it. Yep. They have been over there holding the children back. They would have been, no, get out of here. Go back, go and get the water when we're done. <laughs> or something. I don't know what they would have done. But Jesus wouldn't have any. What's that? No, well, the well was a common gathering place. There was no one else there. Yeah, it's not a common time to be at the well. Yeah. But understand, if you're tired, then being in a place where most people don't come is a good thing. If you're tired. And Jesus was tired. He was tired. The Word of God would not say he was tired when he wasn't really. <laughs> he was tired. But he's still, even tired, he still recognized what God wanted to do and did it. Follow it after it. And that's just where we have to get to. We have to, to listen to our spirit more. We're so used to listening to our renewed mind. And there's, it's, it's good things have come because we've listened to our renewed mind. Please understand that. Good things have come from that. But you've got to get beyond that. There's more out there. Better things. There's more out there if we listen to our spirit. What is he saying? 